Hey everybody, welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast on a Friday. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. This is our post-game pod, if you will, after the Browns clinched the playoffs with a 37-20 win over the Jets. We actually had a texter just now ask us why there was no post-game pod. Well, it was right when we were hitting record. It was a late night. And we wanted to be a little more awake and a little more conscious when we sat down and, and decided to do a podcast. And I thought I thought the way to kind of attack this would be, let's point out the people that we believe are most responsible for this team clinching the playoffs, getting back to the postseason for the first time since 2020. And look, if we're going to make a list, what better way to do it than a draft? right? That's how we do things here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. So we're going to go through and we're going to draft, I guess we'll do like two rounds, maybe three rounds if if we're making pretty good time here as to the people most responsible for the Browns making the playoffs and try and give, uh, give some folks credit for what has happened here with this football team in 2023. Now I'm firing up the lottery simulator. This is something I should have done before we came on the air. But I forgot. So, like I said, it was a late night last night. So, we'll go snake draft style. And Ashley, you are going to have the first pick. This is rare. I don't think you usually get the first pick. I so, don't. The people, it can you can go any direction you want. Yeah. Just who you think is responsible, who you think deserves credit for why this team is back in the playoffs this season. Yeah, you know, I started making my big board just now, like really great prep by me. And I have six people on here and genuinely I could make an argument to take any of these six people and I'll figure out the last three as I go. I'm sure they'll come to me, but I think I need to go with the man of the hour and take Joe Flacco number one overall, because what he is doing is just absurd. The fact that he threw for 296 yards in the first half last night. He's operating on another level. They go and get him off the scrap heap. He stayed ready, and he is coming back with a vengeance. I don't think anybody, especially not me, expected this to be the case. But at this point of the season, these last five games, how many games it's been now, they would not be where they are. Still in a position to clinch the AFC North in the number one seed somehow, depending on what happens Sunday if Joe Flacco wasn't playing lights out the way he was. And we've said it before, this team would not be a playoff team if they had to rely on P.J. Walker or DTR down this stretch. So, Mary Kay, this was um, – I when I was thinking this, like if I get the number one pick, who am I going to take? And there were like four different people I was thinking. And some of it is like, do I want to take the coach or the do I want to take the player or do I want to take the coach who's like aligned with the player? If that makes sense. Right. So Joe Flacco, you'd think of maybe Kevin Stefanski. Um, and I think Joe's the right one here, just from a storyline standpoint, just from a, what he's accomplished standpoint. And I'm just trying to figure out why do you think Joe has resonated so much with Browns fans? Is it simply because like they needed a savior when Deshaun Watson went down and Joe Flacco just happened to be that guy. Why why do you think he's resonated like he has with this fan base? Well, I think um, that's part of it. They needed a savior. Uh, So many people thought it was over when Deshaun went out with the fractured shoulder. Uh, So for Joe to come in uh, riding on the, the, you know, the white horse that he came in on and, you know, to save the season is phenomenal. But then, when you look at the big, enormous plays that he has made, I mean, he has, is it 13 touchdown passes now in his I think that's right. five games? I mean, that's a whole heck of a lot of touchdown passes. And, um, you know, those just really were not happening all that much. I think he has more than the Jets do in their whole entire season. And, um, you know, it's just the way that he came in and just started firing the ball downfield and and throwing it, you know, 40 yards and 50 yards and 75 yards. And, you know, it's the big, huge explosive plays along with the victories and everything else. I mean, his personality, I mean, it just all fits together. So um, had I had the number one pick, he would have absolutely hands down would have been my pick. And you, you mentioned the touchdown passes. He has more touchdown passes than the other Browns quarterbacks combined. Deshaun, Dorian Thompson, Robinson, and P.J. Walker have nine combined touchdown passes. The, the numbers are staggering. 
but it's not just numbers, Ashley. When we're watching him play, it just looks so different than it's looked. And it seems like everyone is just on the same page, pulling in the same direction. I don't I don't understand why any of this is happening, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I know. I mean, this goes back to, can I just take it back to our, is Joe Flacco a gunslinger argument? The new, is Joe Flacco elite argument? Um, we were proven right yesterday, I think, once again, because some of those throws, I think you don't make if you're not a gunslinger. He's just willing to take risks, I think, in large part because of his experience, right? Like he's seen those risks pay off, uh, you know, infinity amount of times at this point in his career. And I think that is part of the reason that helps it. And like just having a guy like Amari Cooper, who obviously wasn't out there yesterday, um, he's really, I think, gravitated towards that style of play. And when you've had those two guys clicking the way they have, it's been impressive. And I mean, I think you saw it expand a little bit yesterday, even without Amari and some of the throws he was able to make to a guy like Jerome Ford or Elijah Moore, who obviously had to leave the game early with the head injury. But it's just, it's unreal. I mean, we talked to Wyatt about it after the game, Dan, about the crazy 50 yard pass. And he's like, I gave up a pressure and Quinn and Williams got, you know, a hand on his face mask and he still ran out and <laughs> completed that throw. It's stuff like that where you just kind of have to shrug and be like, I don't know. I don't know what is causing this, but it's unreal. Yeah. And America, I feel like this defines the Brown season. Like, I don't know how any of this is happening. I don't know how we're talking about a playoff team. And I don't know how they're doing it with Joe Flacco at quarterback and how he's like resurrected his career like this. But it's happened and here they are. And who knows how far they can take this? Yeah. You know, one thing I think um, that, that stands out to me is that Joe is really flourishing in this kind of a scheme. I mean, they know how to call a game for a Joe Flacco. This play action rollout boot offense that Kevin excels in, that Gary Kubiak, you know, handed down and helped hand down to him, that Kyle Shanahan and those guys run. Uh, Joe is just really excelling, shining in that scheme. And of course, he's run it before under Gary Kubiak in Baltimore. So it didn't take him long to, you know, to pick it up and to, to refresh it and to go out there and do it. And then the other thing is he's got a fresh arm. He's got fresh legs and fresh arm while everybody else was out there taking sacks and getting beat up. He was throwing the little football to the little Flacco's. And so, you know, he's, he's ready to roll. I mean, he's just now, uh, you know, finishing what would be almost like his preseason. So he's heading into the, um, you know, the grueling home stretch and the playoff stretch with a completely fresh body. And, and I think it's showing. God, remember the preseason? That no. was so long ago. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, yeah, well, we're trying to erase it from our memories. Um, okay, so I have the number two pick. And so to me, this is another obvious one. And it's, I kind of touched on it there off the top. Well, actually, maybe it's not that obvious. I bet there's people that would go a different direction here, but I'm just going to go with what I think is the obvious one. And that's the one that is very Joe Flacco adjacent. And I think that's Kevin Stefanski, Uh, probably the coach of the year at this point. I haven't checked to see if odds have updated to see if he's the favorite, but he's, he's got to be the coach of the year right now. And yeah, I don't really care that much about that award, but he certainly deserves it. Um, What he's done with this team, the way they're all talking like Kevin, they're all acting like Kevin, they're all just saying things Kevin says. Um, It was kind of funny that locker room last night. By the time we got in there, it was pretty boring. And they were all saying, yeah, want to know, want to know. Like, whatever he's done, whatever he's putting the water in Berea, whatever he's feeding these guys in, in the cafeteria, it has worked Everything Kevin has done this season has worked. And I had questions about Kevin coming into the year. We did the big who could win a championship next pod in the offseason. And Kevin was not the choice. Uh, I wasn't sure. And he has erased all doubts at this point to me that he is a legitimately good coach in the NFL who can win at a high level. Um, I, I mean, Mary Kay, I don't know. Again, I don't know what else to say about Kevin. And to me, it goes beyond the play calling. The play calling has been great, especially since Joe's taken over. But to me, this is so much bigger than just Kevin as the play caller. This is, I feel like we've seen head coach Kevin this season and what that can look like. Yeah, and I actually did choose the the Browns to win the next championship. I, I think I was 
voted off the island a little bit there. I can't remember how yeah, we arrived did, at you, our conclusion. You yeah. did. So we asked everyone that we had on to choose someone and you did choose Kevin. But, yeah, yeah, I did. So I will take a little victory lap for that. But, um, but yeah, I, you know, I mean, he, he's done a, a fantastic job this year. And I think that he does deserve coach of the year, his second coach of the year award for everything that he's had to go through. Even if you just looked at uh, the fact that they're the first team in whatever to make the playoffs with four quarterbacks, uh, they're down to their fourth quarterback and they are humming along. They are cooking right now. Uh, this offense is explosive and, it, and they're down to smoke and mirrors in some respects. So Kevin deserves a ton of credit for holding everybody together. And one of the things that he does best is, I mean, they are committed to the one and oh bit. I mean, they are committed to it. That's how they were in 2020. That's exactly how they were in 2020. They never spoke of the next game until they knocked off the previous one. They never did it. And they just stayed laser, laser focused. It reminds me so much of 2020. This is not new. This is exactly how they were back then. And, and he's got that down pat and he knows how to sell it and they are buying in. And I, I just think, Ashley, this is like, this is year four for Kevin. And this is like his team now. These are his guys. And a lot of these guys he's been coaching since 2020 and they've been hearing his messaging. And I just think like last year, the questions I had about him were like, how do you go to Atlanta and let them just run on you like that and lose that game? How do you... How do you go to Buff how do you go to Detroit and play a Buffalo team that was getting dug out of a blizzard? You know, and it was snowmobiling people to the airport and lose that game. There were just little things like that coming out of off the bye week and just getting killed by Miami. And I feel like Kevin isn't like I Kevin doesn't lose those games this year for whatever reason. This is just he he seems really comfortable. He seems like he loves this team. And I was really impressed with almost with sort of how he changed his approach when they were playing PJ Walker and DTR and he had to play like Jim Trestle football, which is not the way Kevin wants to play, but he's like, okay, we're going to go to Indy and kick five field goals and win this game. <laughs> and then, you know, now Joe Flacco's in and there he's getting back to being aggressive Kevin and, and all of that. I just, the Kevin this year as a head coach, I think the play caller is still the same guy. It's, it's just the quarterback is more he's got a better quarterback now but the head coach Kevin I think has really taken a step forward this year yeah I mean and you touched on it there but the fact that they've had to run all these different versions of this offense and I mean I think it's no accident that right now it looks so good because this is a system that Kevin is comfortable with right I mean we've talked extensively that it's that Gary Kubiak kind of system which Joe Flacco has thrived in in his career before. So I think it makes sense. I mean, that alone is so impressive. And Kevin hasn't been perfect this year either, right? Like there's obviously the Seattle game is the first thing that comes to mind and the call he made there and having PJ throw it on the third down. We don't have to go over the whole thing. But I do think ultimately the thing that he says, one of his sayings I know he likes is that winning is a deodorant. And I think like this year, you've really seen that come into play. And it's a lot easier, I think, when you're a head coach to buy in for your players when the results are there and they've been in the win column enough and they are a playoff team and enough things go your way. And it sort of starts to become a fake it till you make it thing, even if you need it to be that. And I do just think the way he's kind of rallied them is super impressive. Um, and obviously a huge part of what they have been able to do. He's definitely a first round pick in this draft. And, and by the way, like great coaches make bad decisions all the time. Like that's, I mean, we rave about Mike Tomlin on this podcast and he, he makes terrible decisions all the time. I mean, ask Steelers fans about his challenges and things like that. Like that's football, but it's, it's that overall ability to build a culture and have a team pulling in the right direction and, you know, just get a team to where this Browns team has been. Kevin's been incredible. All right, Mary Kay, you get to wrap up the first round. You're also going to start off the second round. Who do you like here? Okay. So I might be going in a little bit of a different direction than, than you guys would have gone here. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, we'll see. But, you know, I don't necessarily think that this person at a time like this gets as much credit as he should because it's a behind the scenes role. He's not out there catching touchdown passes. He's not throwing touchdown passes. He's not booting 50 yard field goals. 
but the person who put it all together is GM Andrew Barry. And I am telling you right now, none of this would be happening right now without some of the amazing acquisitions he has made. Okay. We can start all the way back to, let's go to Amari Cooper. He traded for uh, Amari Cooper for a fifth round pick with the Dallas Cowboys. Amari has been absolutely tremendous. Now, it wasn't just a, a draft pick thing for the Cowboys. It was also a compensation thing. They did not want to pay Amari the $20 million that he was owed. But the Browns had no problem with that. They saw what he is. Uh, he's a, a four-time Pro Bowl receiver, and he's been absolutely tremendous. And again, all they had to give up was a fifth round pick. Absolutely incredible. This year, when it came time to just look in, you know, look at themselves in the mirror and say, Cade York isn't going to cut it. He is our high draft pick as a kicker, but let's cut our losses and go out and do what we need to do. They went out and traded for Dustin Hopkins and Dustin Hopkins will probably show up somewhere here in our draft because you are not, you are absolutely not 11 and five this season without the amazing Dustin Hopkins, who of course missed last night uh, and they missed him, but um, you know, he, he's been tremendous. We, we know all the numbers and the stats, the eight for eight from 50 plus the four game winners and leads the NFL with 33 field goals. Dustin Hopkins was a tremendous, tremendous save. And we could go on and on, but I will just make mention of the fact that when Deshaun Watson went down with his fractured shoulder, they went out and they signed Joe Flacco. Nobody else wanted Joe Flacco. Nobody. Everybody else in the NFL had a chance to sign him. Nobody did. He was left on the scrap heap and probably would have been on the scrap heap potentially for the rest of the season, had the Browns not dialed him up. And he has turned into, arguably, the most exciting, the most feel-good story in the NFL of this season. Wouldn't be here unless Andrew Barry went out and got him. So I think Andrew, and then again, we could go on and on and on. I mean, you could we could talk about Martin Emerson drafted in the third round. What are you taking a cornerback for? Um, you know, Del signing Delvin Tomlinson and, 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 and bringing Jim Schwartz into the fold and helping Kevin Stefanski realize that he needed a guy like Jim Schwartz and that Jim was going to make all the difference in this defense. So he's put together this whole operation in, in, you know, he hired Kevin Stefanski too, basically. I mean, Kevin arrived on the doorstep first, but that was kind of all part of the plan. I mean, he was, Kevin Stefanski was the pick of Paul and um, Paul De Podesta and Andrew Barry when uh, John Dorsey decided to go with Freddie Kitchens instead. So, um, you know, he's just put together an amazing organization from top to bottom. And that is why they are thriving right now when everything can fall down around them, they have the depth to plug in Ronnie Hickman. Ronnie Hickman, undrafted free agent, and have him play excellent safety. Excellent. So I think Andrew, he's got to be, I think he's got to be an executive of the year, GM of the year, whatever. Uh, I think he's just been a, a phenomenal this year. I, I was worried we were going to take Andrew too low in this draft. I knew we were going to take him, but I, I thought oh, we're just going to end up because of the way we're doing this. We're going to end up taking Andrew too low. So this is where I point out, by the way, even though we're doing a draft and we're kind of putting these people in order, this isn't necessarily like the order everyone deserves credit in. This is just trying to come up with a list of, of the people who deserve, you know, the lion's share of the credit here. Um, okay. It wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't mention Joshua Dobbs, right? But I'm going to mention him in a positive light. So we've talked a lot about was was trading Joshua Dobbs a mistake, and, and I'm not here to re-legislate that. We all kind of know how we all feel on this podcast. But if you're wondering why Andrew values that fifth-round pick so much, it's because we've seen how he's used, like, hey, Dallas is looking to dump Amari Cooper. We can get him on the cheap. We've got an extra fifth. Let's go get him. Hey, Minnesota doesn't want to pay Zadarius Smith anymore. We got an extra – that was a fifth too, right? We got an extra fifth. Let's go get him. Dustin Hopkins is about to be cut. We got a seven sitting here. Let's go get him. So 
that's sort of Andrew's thinking and his approach on some of this stuff with those day three picks. Maybe, you know, again, maybe that that was a mistake in the end, but whatever. It doesn't matter at this point because the Browns clinched the playoffs and Joe Flacco's the quarterback. But that's how Andrew thinks about this. And it's worked out in his favor a lot of times where he can pounce on some of those moves. And Mary Kay, you mentioned, you know, to get a to get Martin Emerson in the third round and have him contributing. That's that's enormous. Like he's to establishing himself as one of the best corners in the league right now. Uh, you know, Greg Newsom is playing at a, at a high level again. You know, that's one of your first round picks that, that has worked really well. Jordan Elliott is showing signs of life, right? There's a third round pick that's worked. There's so much good that, that Andrew Barry has done. And sort of along the line of lines of Kevin Ashley, it's not in Andrew Barry's DNA to pay Dalvin Tomlinson $57 million. But he identified a need. He knew what his defensive coordinator wanted. And he went out and got that guy. And so that's, you know, that's another sign of a really good GM and a guy that understands, like, this is what we need. This is what my coaches need. So I'm going to go and get what they need, even if I have to maybe do something that I'm not 100% comfortable doing from an analytics standpoint. Yeah, Dalvin's the prime example of that. They had never given an interior D lineman that kind of contract, that kind of money. Um, you know, maybe all together the room was making this much money. But I do think it just kind of goes to show that they can evolve. I remember this was like a big debate over the last two years. It's like, can Kevin evolve as a play caller? Can Andrew evolve in terms of what he's looking for? And I think this year just kind of proves that it seems like you know for as much credit as Jim Schwartz who I'm sure is probably going to go in the next handful of picks um deserves for this defense turning around so much of that room and this defense was remade thanks to what Andrew Berry did I mean Jordan Elliott is the only returning interior D lineman from last season and how much over the last two years did we talk about how bad and how much that unit underperformed and Jordan even, it seems like it's finally coming into his own and how much they were talking him up going into 2022. I feel like he's there. And I think he knew what Jim Schwartz needed to make this scheme successful. And they went out and did it. And I mean, that's just on the defensive side of the ball, right? Mary Kay went through basically every major move from the last two years. And it's true. You look at those and it's like, I don't know how they get here if he doesn't do, you know, maybe even one of those things. They might be in a very different position. All right. We're going to take a break here. And then when we come back, Mary Kay is going to kick off our second round with her second pick in a row. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, we are going through the people we believe are most responsible for this team clinching the playoffs. We are certainly going to leave some people off. We'll do some honorable mentions at the end. Uh, Joe Flacco went one, Kevin Stefanski two, Andrew Barry three. So Mary Kay, you are up now to start us off in the second round with pick number four. All right. Well, as you mentioned a little earlier, these are not necessarily uh, the exact order that they all should be in. And I... I want to go with the player this time because I picked the general manager with my last pick. So I would like to go with the player this time uh, just for posterity's sake and to have a little fun. Um, And you could go actually a couple different ways if you were to choose the next player here after Joe Flacco. But I am going to go with the best defensive player on the best defense in the land in one Miles Garrett. He got his 14th sack of the season last night. He's somewhere around seventh. I haven't looked today. I thought he's either seventh or he moved up to sixth or something like that. So he's somewhere around there. He's in his third straight season of double digit sacks. He is, um, he is close to breaking or setting, uh, or matching his record of 16. So if he can get two in the finale, if he even plays in the finale, uh, he can possibly match his club record and get 16. He's still in the conversation for NFL Defensive Player of the Year, even though he went through a slump, uh, a little sack slump, not a not a playing slump, but a, just a sack slump where he didn't get one for five weeks. And in the minds of voters, that's just how it goes. A lot of times you look at those sack totals and those sack numbers. Uh, but he busted out of that with the sack last night, despite the fact that he was dealing with uh, the loss of his uncle. He was kind of depressed during the game. He felt foggy. He didn't feel like himself. 
Uh, he still came through, managed to, to break that sackless streak. But before that, when you look at the beginning of the season, at, at one point uh, when they played the Pittsburgh Steelers on November 12th, 19th, it was, uh, on November 19th, he had, he led the NFL with 13 sacks. He led the NFL with 13 sacks. And he was right up there with four forced fumbles. And he was just on everyone's mind as NFL Defensive Player of the Year. And I don't know if he'll get votes this year or not. Uh, There are some other people that are, you know, maybe being touted for the award a little bit more than he is out there. But he's been phenomenal. And every time you look out there, he's getting double teamed, chipped. They're sliding away from him. They're game planning against him. They're stopping him. Sean McVay stopping him in the corridor to tell him that he messed up his effing week. And um, and so, you know, I, I just don't think you can overstate the contribution that Miles Garrett has made. And and he had to because nobody else was really getting sacks. I mean, nobody else was getting sacks. So, uh, you know, he's been tremendous. And I think he deserves all the credit for the great season that he's had. There was a there was a play last night, and I think it sort of sums up a little bit of the Miles Garrett experience this year. I'm going to sound like every Browns coach from two weeks ago who was making the case for Miles Garrett for DPOY. But there was a play a play last night that like is never going to be like in a stat sheet or anything like that. But uh, Trevor, the Jets were driving; they were inside. I, I think it was in the second half. I wish I could remember the exact play, but I just remember watching it and thinking like this is what people are talking about. So Trevor Simeon drops back. They were running a little out route into the end zone and Miles Garrett beat his man, got there so quickly. Trevor Simeon didn't have a chance to even think about making a good throw. And like, it wasn't even close, like just ended up throwing it out of bounds. And, you know, those are the things when people talk about pressure, right? Like how it affects teams. And with Miles Garrett, you know, however you feel about the sack first pressure thing, this is what we know about Miles Garrett. Whoever they play in the playoffs, the first name they're going to put on the board the offensive, the offensive coordinator is going to be Miles Garrett's name, and it's going to be in big letters, and it's going to be the, the player they talk about all week long. And he's the guy that can absolutely wreck a game and change a game plan and make your quarterback have to get rid of the ball faster, make you speed up your offense, all of those things. So, like, this is this has maybe hasn't been Miles' most productive year to this point. I don't know. But Ashley, when you just think about Miles Garrett and when you watch him every single play, you you do see the impact that he has on opposing offenses. And I think that's the key, right? Like Mary Kay said, even though he had the sackless streak, all of these coaches and opposing teams had to devote a ton of time in their prep to prepare for him. They have to devote a lot of resources onto the field. And that's that's the sort of stuff that becomes priceless, right? Like if you have to use a tight end to chip more, okay, that takes someone out of the passing game. And if you have to bring in an extra offensive lineman and you're worried about him doubling, maybe eventually that's going to get one of these other edge rushers going in a meaningful way, like kind of like how it did for Zedarius Smith last week against the Texans when he got two sacks and a third one that was taken away from him because of a penalty that wasn't his fault. Um, and I do think that's the crux of it, right? That this hasn't been, I think with Miles, and we've talked about this a lot recently, this is another year where he's kind of tapered off that individual sack production as a season wore on. But I think you look at the things like the pressures, you look at the things like other teams have to devote resources to, and just like Mary Kay said, the fact that he's the, as the coaches hammered home last week, the best player on the best defense in the league, that means something, even if, you know, he and everyone else would still like him to have more sacks around this time of the year. And it's why he's still in the running for that defensive player of the year award. Okay. So I'm going to go again. This is, this is hard We're, We are going to leave people off this list, but I'm going to go again. This one feels obvious. And I mentioned this off the top. This is sort of along the lines of Ashley taking Joe Flacco. And then I took the play caller. So Mary Kay takes miles Garrett. I'm going to take the guy that was brought here to maximize miles Garrett. And that's Jim Schwartz. Mary Kay, you mentioned him with Andrew Barry. They had that previous relationship in Philadelphia. Jim Schwartz ends up here. Um, Again, a credit to Kevin Stefanski, too, for for identifying Jim Schwartz when he came in and, and hiring him and letting him have this defense. What he's done to this unit, and certainly there have been personnel upgrades. So, you know, we shouldn't put this all on our old buddy Joe Woods, but um what he's done with this unit and how he's changed this entire group and the way they're playing 
it is incredible again like he, he's brought an attitude he's brought a scheme that fits everyone and if we just go through the list of guys not named miles garrett who are thriving in this right so darius is starting to get going but then you look at jok all of a sudden he's a guy right we weren't sure about him but now he's a guy greg newsome you know both those outside corners denzel and martin emerson are having their best seasons um you know on the interior jordan elliott dalvin tomlinson he's getting production out of shelby harris uh he's He's just elevated so many people by bringing in this scheme. Sione Takitaki, he was starting to play well last year, but he's he's made a leap this year. The number of people who have been elevated in Jim Schwartz's scheme is is why he belongs on this list and why someone out there might make the case that he should be higher than where we've put him. Yeah, I mean, you could make the case. He absolutely... Um, delivered the assignment and these guys have bought in. They know exactly where they're supposed to be. They know what they're supposed to be doing. I don't know if you saw the video clip. I think it might've been uh, Cameron Justice from Channel 5 showed the video clip last night of uh, of Jim Schwartz grabbing Z after the game and telling him, go take a lap around and enjoy this moment because he knows how to instill a culture. He knows how to bring out the best in these guys. He knows how to get them to play for each other. I've never heard Miles talk about defense and and teamwork and just the team concept like he has this whole entire year. In every other year, Miles would say one or two things during the course of the season where you just kind of wished he wouldn't have said it. And it would have been something like, well, if my teammates would win their one-on-one match. You know, there, there was always something like that. And, you know, all that is gone. I mean, it is gone. He's got Miles and everyone else playing for each other like crazy. And, um, you know, if they don't all cheer for each other, if they, they get loafs, you get loafs. And we're not talking about, you know, some nice rye bread to put some corned beef on. Uh, no. They're getting loafs for not doing their job. So um, he, he's been phenomenal. You can see it. We saw it throughout training camp, the way he, um, you know, just the way he dealt with the players, you know, the way he dug in there and, and got right in there. It was so hands-on in every rep and every drill. Um, the secondary, I mean, my goodness, those guys have all come alive. They really have. They, they've all come just out of the woodwork. Grant Delpit having a career season, um, you know, Juan, when he's healthy, doing a great job, you know, once again, you can plug a Ronnie Hickman in there and all of a sudden he's playing really high level football. It's just been like clockwork and you can see why he has helped coach a defense to a Super Bowl victory because that's the caliber of coach that he is. And he's changed everything on that side of the ball. And yes, some of it is personnel upgrade, but I think most of it is scheme and culture upgrade. Okay. So you guys make fun of me, or at least you were making fun of me last night because I keep talking about the turnovers, right? I keep saying these turnovers are going to cost them. And you guys were making (laughs) fun of me that we were going to be flying home from the Super Bowl after covering a Super Bowl win that I'm going to be sitting there saying, no, but these turnovers are still going to get them. I think maybe that's that's the biggest like testament to how great this defense has been. This team actually is turning the ball over an insane amount of times. Like they just cannot stop turning the football over. And the reason it hasn't cost them is because this defense, you know, as long as they don't have to start a possession at the five yard line, this defense just keeps getting the football back for him. It doesn't matter how many possessions you give the opposing offense. This defense just keeps getting you the football back. Yeah, this defense is why they, I think, continue to defy logic and history in terms of that specific category, right? Because we all remember the Andrew Berry bi-week press conference heading into week five. The bi-week feels like it was an eternity ago. Um, sitting up there and saying, this is not sustainable. We have ball security has to be the number one priority because you can't win in the NFL like this. They've still lost the turnover battle more times than they've won it. And yet they not only have a winning record, they clinched a playoff spot with still, you know, technically like two full weeks of action to go except their game. So it's just, I mean, it's a testament to, I think, how good 
the system is, how much they bought in, how much those new additions have helped. And yeah, I'm sad you took Jim Schwartz because I thought I was going to get to steal him at pick number six. I know we talk about order and not mattering, and I do think that's true. Um, it's it's just, I think they're not here without him. He's everything that we thought he would be, I think, or best case scenario. And now I think like you do have an argument for, okay, like best acquisitions of the last year, like Joe Flacco might be the answer. But I think before Joe got here, it was Jim. And just everything, the way he turned this defense around has been so impressive. I can't wait to do that draft. I just got excited for off-season draft season. That's, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think, I could be wrong. I think we've picked everyone who could have potentially gone number one. I think any of those yeah. people we just picked could have mm-hmm. gone number one overall. Um, so maybe we've finished a tier, but Ashley, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you've got somebody here that, I, yeah, that could have I mean, gone number one. <laughs> I don't think this guy would go number one, but I think he's like that obvious next tier to me. And I'm actually going to go with another player here, a guy we brought up. He's not the D-hop we wanted in July, but he's the one this team needed. And I'm going to go Dustin Hopkins here. And not to get a bit of, to get on this, you know, downer, like line of thinking here. But I do think he's been so clutch for them in key moments that it's really unfortunate that this is a time they are without him because of that hamstring injury. I mean, when we talked to Kevin Stefanski today, didn't seem to know much, didn't sound too optimistic that he would be available for this upcoming week. So I think that's not good. But again, he's a Pro Bowl caliber kicker. He's perfect on 50 plus yard kicks. We know is it four game winning kicks that he's made. I know we've talked about this ad nauseum and I, I don't have Mary Kay's they're nodding. So yes, I don't have Mary Kay's ability to remember all the numbers off the top of my head, but it's just been amazing this year to not have to worry about the kicker. Like he's almost an afterthought. And I think that's how you want your kicker to be because it's just assumed he's going to go out there and make, make his kicks when they have to throw him out there. And I definitely think there's a big chance they're going to miss him if he has to miss an extended amount of time, but they would not be here and would not have the record they do if they had a less reliable kicker. Again, going back to Andrew Barry, right? One of those great trades you had mentioned at Mary Kay. Um, it, you, you wrote back when the Browns were eight and five, that they wouldn't be eight and five without Dustin Hopkins. I don't think there's an argument. Otherwise, I think we saw last night, right? A missed extra point. We haven't seen a ton of those this year. And, we, we do have to talk a little bit about some of the bad stuff here still. Like we're going to get to another player and I want to bring up a, a concern that I have there. But with Dustin, I trust him. Like, I, like when he kicks, just close my eyes. I know it's going to be good. Right. And I trust him, you know, in Cleveland in January and Buffalo in January and Kansas city, wherever they have to go in January, I trust him that if they need him to make a kick, he's going to make it. And if he misses it, it would be a shock. So this is a little concerning that Kevin said today on his Zoom call a couple hours before we recorded this, that it's Corey Bohorquez who has a better chance to play in week 18 than Dustin. Now week 18 might not matter. The Browns are in the playoffs regardless. So you can live without Dustin Hopkins in week 18, but you do start to worry, like, could this linger into wild card weekend or could this linger into a divisional round game when just ask the Cincinnati Bengals, it, it you know, a Super Bowl run could come down to one mater missed kick. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's so hard to believe that we have touted him all season long as a savior of the season. And then now here you get to clutch time and crunch time and you might not have your amazing kicker who I firmly believe that there's no way. I mean, it's just, it's documented. There's no way they would be 11 and five without him. It just would not have happened. Usually, uh, you know, you look at a season and a kicker uh, makes, uh, you know, uh, some kind of an impact here and there, but not like this one did this season uh, to make four game winners and then to kick all those kicks in uh, the Indianapolis Colts game, uh, including three of 50 yards or more. There's no way they're getting out of there alive without without him. And if he didn't make all of those game winners, they're not even close to 11 and five right now. So I don't think you can overstate his contribution to the football team. And, uh, you know, he's just been absolutely tremendous. And they really need him in the playoffs if they want to be golden, like, you know, like the Ravens probably will be with Justin Tucker and, you know, some other kickers that are that good. He's just been 
that tremendous. So I'm all aboard the DHOP train. Okay, we're going to take another break, and I'm thinking about it. We're doing one more round, and we are really going to we're going to leave somebody off this list. So yeah, we're, we might go another hour with honorable mentions after we make these next three picks. But we're going to take a break first, and then when we come back, Ashley will keep us going with her second pick in a row. Back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. So here's who we've got getting credit for the Browns clinching the playoffs right now. Joe Flacco, Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Barry, Miles Garrett, Jim Schwartz, Dustin Hopkins. Ashley, who's next on this list? Well, I'm just going to end up doing a player sweep with my draft picks because I think we've made Amari Cooper wait long enough for this one. And I do think, again, this year, it's like every time I look at what Amari can do on the field, I'm more impressed with each year. I think, Dan, like you're the one that said maybe when they got him two years ago now almost, it was like, okay, maybe this guy isn't like a true 1A receiver. I think he continues to put that thought to bed. He, of course, broke – the franchise record with 265 receiving yards last week against the Texans. And again, not to be the Debbie Downer, I think what he's done this year and his connection with Joe Flacco has been so amazing, but he's dealing with this heel injury now. He was the late scratch yesterday. We saw him go uh, try to warm up, and very quickly he left field wincing, talking to receivers coach Chad O'Shea, um, and was inactive. So now it's kind of a question of, okay, it was a short week, but let's see what Amari is dealing with here because he just has been the most reliable pass catcher. In a year where you don't have Nick Chubb, I think that's even more vital And he's also just a leader in that room. The way those young receivers like Elijah Moore, David Bell, Cedric Tillman talk about Amari Cooper, it's like you feel that true mentorship role that he has taken on and how much this team respects him and respects how he goes about his business. He doesn't get, I think, a lot of the accolades maybe nationally he deserves, and we've talked about this because he's not a big, flashy personality, but I think you don't have Joe Flacco doing what he's doing if he doesn't have Amari Cooper to throw the ball to because he can trust him to take some of those calculated risks. So I think last night was not last night made a huge case for Amari Cooper. Now, Elijah Moore was pretty good. Um, but then, of course, he gets hurt at the end of the half. Uh, pretty scary moment. He, he went spent last night in the hospital. He's back home today. We don't know when Elijah Moore is going to be available again. And it was a little worrisome in that second half, Mary Kay, when you're watching said Tillman and David Bell and Marquise Goodwin was kind of in and out at like there was, you could tell, you could tell that these guys were having trouble getting open. And this passing game was just not going to be nearly as dynamic as they need it to be. Um, And again, Elijah Moore did well, but you don't want Elijah Moore to be your number one. So Amari Cooper is so important to this football team. And I, I think he'll be back, but it was just a reminder of how thin this wide receiving court is behind him. And especially now, if you're going to be without Elijah Moore for, you know, probably week 18, but who knows beyond that, like that's, there's not this, this wide receiving core is either really young or it's just not quite where it needs to be yet to fill in for what Amari Cooper can give you. That, that was a little concerning last night. Yeah, I mean, I think when, you know, when you look at uh, a rookie receiver like a said Tillman, if you if you had a Pro Bowl caliber receiver in that role, uh, I think that they would be dynamite. That's exactly what they needed. And um, they left themselves a little bit short in that regard. And I think they did so because, uh, you know, they knew that they had David Njoku and that he was going to be right up there as one of their top three pass catchers and that he was going to be catching touchdown passes and, uh, you know, have probably a 1,000 yard season. That was the expectation for him, and he is right there. Um, but they still needed another receiver, and uh, they traded away Donovan Peoples Jones. And, you know, even now, you think, you know, with his, you know, experience, maybe it would have been better off to have him around this season. But, you know, they were planning for the future with that one. Um, but they are a receiver short right now because of injury. And that's the one area where if we had to knock the front office back just the slightest bit, this is the spot. Uh, In addition to leaving themselves very short at backup quarterback, coming in and getting a a huge save, of course, with Joe Flacco. But before that, it was very obvious. They made a mistake there, and they left themselves way short at backup quarterback and way short at receiver. But 
the hallmark of, of a good personnel department is to make up for those mistakes and to, you know, to compensate. And they certainly did that with Joe. And hopefully for them moving forward, they won't, um, you know, they won't hurt too much for not having that extra blue chip elite type of receiver receiver on the roster that, you know, I, I 100% felt that they needed, wrote they needed. And I pretty sure, I know you guys agreed on that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the one, that's the one spot, but, um, but Amari has been amazing. Amari's just been tremendous and absolutely belongs right here uh, in this tier. So good pick. Okay, well, I'm going to do it at number eight. And I know that Mary Kay was probably hoping this person was going to make it to her. But I can't let him I can't let him get past this. I actually think right now we're a little too offense heavy, and that's going to continue. I'm going to go David Njoku. Um, what he's the way he's elevated over these last few games, like he has become the David Njoku. Like when I've, when I've been critical of him, like this is why, because this is the guy like you're watching last night. And it's like, why in the world are the jets not covering this guy? How is this guy open all the time? How is this happening? Like that's, this is the David Njoku we've been waiting for. This is the Njoku you pay $14 million a year for. And then that becomes a bargain in like two years. So what he's done and Mary Kay, I don't know if he's going to get to those eight touchdowns this year because he might not play in week 18. We'll see what happens Sunday with the Ravens, but he got real close to your eight touchdown prediction this year. And this, this is David Njoku leveling up. This is, this is finally the player that the Browns took in the first round back in 2017. Um, he's become one of, if, if he keeps playing like this, he's going to start getting mentioned as one of the best tight ends in the game. This is the player I always believed he could be. I mean, I, and I've been saying that for, for years, so it's well documented. Uh, I always thought that this is who Dave Njoku could and should be. And the reason why the reason why I felt that way, and I think I was always pretty clear about it, is because when you look at the size, I mean, just the sheer size alone, the size, the strength, and what he really needed to do more so than anything was add a couple elements of his game. And the number one thing was focus, to look it in. I almost had to give him my Tory Holt, here's how you create a little diamond with your hands, and then you look it in. Well, you almost did, but you did. You did it on this podcast, and ever since you gave that pep talk, he's made the leap. He must yes. be a listener. Maybe he is. But I even told him in the locker room the other day, I said, you better go out there and get those eight touchdowns because I've been saying this for a couple of years now and I've had, uh, I've gotten a lot of pushback on it and I really need you to back me up on this. So we were kind of laughing about that, but you guys know I've been on the David Njoku train and I've had to, shall we say, you know, put up with a little, you know, good natured ribbing about it over the years, but I've held firm. Even in the face of, and I've told David this too, David has occasionally, you know, not necessarily, all, you know, he and I always haven't always seen eye to eye on every single little thing. Um, but I've stuck, I've hung in there with him because I believed uh, that this is what he could be just from a physical skill set and a mental skill set. I thought he, he's, he's got what it takes. He has got everything that you need to be to become one of the best tight ends in the NFL. And he's putting it together. And the Browns showed faith in him. I mean, they just refused to trade him. They refused to give up on him. I wrote a column about this a week or two ago. He's becoming everything that they believed he could be too um, because they they just they wouldn't give up. They, they, they said, no, David, we drafted you in the first round and you're going to be good for us, not somebody else. And we are going to see this through. They drafted him when he was a kid. Couldn't even buy a beer. Now he's chugging beers after the game when they clinch a playoff spot with fans because he's old enough to do that now. So, um, yeah, he's he's 27. Oh, Miles today just turned 28 today, by the way. They both came in the same draft. Hard to believe that those guys are in their seventh season now, right? Their seventh season. It's mind-blowing. But, um, you know, David has, he's put his game together 
And it's fun. It's fun to watch. And I think he's going to be scary as all heck in the playoffs, especially with Joe Flacco. Yeah, Ashley, this is how you become Travis Kelsey or George Kittle or Mark Andrews. This is how you start getting mentioned right with those guys is making plays like he's been making in space. Now, I do think he was trying to leap a defender when (laughs) that fumble happened. So that was sort of a David moment. But that's okay. You live with those moments when he's making plays like he's been making ever since Flacco took over. Yeah, I do think, too, what's been so impressive for me this year watching him in their passing game is the way he's picking up yards after the catch. And I don't have his numbers in front of me, but when you watch him run, and I've said this to him before, it's like it feels like he is so much more aggressive this year. And I think that's like a product of multiple things coming together, right? It's like what Mary Kay is talking about with the being focused and watching the ball in and actually making the catch, finishing the catch. I also think like he's spent years now getting better at blocking, becoming more physical, embracing that part of the game. And I think those skills are translating (laughs) to make some of those explosive chunk plays once he gets the ball. And again, depending on what's going with Amari Cooper, you're going to need more production like that out of him. Um, and I do agree. I mean, I think he was, he was on my list and there was a point this season where I don't, I don't know if he would have made this list, this little draft board that I have beside me. Yeah. Good for David. Congrats, David. (laughs) You made our list. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, the, the leap he's made over this last month has been that this is the David, this is the guy, this is the guy that we've been telling you he could be. And that's again, why that's again, I think why people have been critical of that's, this is who we thought he could be, and now he, he's getting there. All right, Mary Kay. So I feel like I might have stolen your guy there. Um, <laughs> however, yes. you get to bring us home here, and then we, we have to do honorable mention because I have a list of like four or five more names that we absolutely have left off. Um, but you, you can bring us home here with our last actual draft pick. Yes, you did steal my guy, <laughs> and you know that I deserve that one. Well, okay, uh, so-, so I had the guy I was going to take. I already have Stefanski and Schwartz. I needed to take a player. I know. Like I it's needed okay. to take a player. It's okay. I've, I've got you. And I'm happy that you have climbed aboard the Najoku train. We've had a lot of uh, laughs over the years about this one and a lot of little debates. And, and that's what makes podcasting fun. That's what makes half of our um, time in the media room fun when we kind of go back and forth over – uh, different things like this. It's, you know, it's the good, you know, synergy and the fun little uh, back and forths that we all have out there that make the job so much fun. Um, but so I'm going to go with someone that, you know, I, I have a feeling you guys are not going to agree with this. We'll see what you think. Um, but I'm going to go with a player who is out of sight, out of mind right now but who made a very significant contribution to this football team. And I firmly believe that they would not be here right now at 11 and five, if not for this player, especially because of one very, very important Browns victory. And that is one Deshaun Watson. He has a five and one record and Now, part of that is because of, um, you know, he left the game in in Indy in the first quarter and PJ came in and pulled out that victory. So, you know, he gets credit for that because he started that game. But more so than anything, you know, he came in bounding out of the locker room on a high ankle sprain in Baltimore, in Baltimore. And played the second half with a fractured right throwing shoulder. And he proved in that half to be everything that the Browns thought he could be when they went out and traded three first-round picks for him and signed him to a $230 million contract. He was that guy in that game. And I still think he is that guy. I've had so many, uh, you know, People say, you know, he's washed up, he's broken, he can't do it anymore. I don't believe that. I do not believe that. And I'm saying it now before he has some kind of, you know, amazing season and people say, oh, yeah, (laughs) I'm saying it. I believe it now. Um, And I think that game 
I think that game proved it. And they would not, you know, they, they would not be here where, where they are right now without the contribution that he made. And if you look at him on that side, you know what, let's, we have to separate the two parts of Deshaun. And there are a lot of people that don't want to do that. And I understand that, but I'm talking football Deshaun and that's it. Football Deshaun, because that's what we're doing here. We're talking about football. If you look at him over on that sidelines, you watch how he helped P.J. Walker. You watch how he helped Dorian Thompson-Robinson. You watch how he coaches up these receivers. You watch how he was chest-bumping Joe Flacco yesterday and getting so excited and fired up on the sidelines. You watch how he tried, how he tried like hell to find some doctor who would shoot him up so he could finish out this season and take this team to the playoffs and be a part of this. And I think he's a good teammate. I think he's a great teammate. And I think he's a major reason why they are here. And I know I'll probably get pushback from people listening to the pod on this. Maybe I'll get some from you guys. But I I just, I feel very strongly that that he was a big part of this. I wondered where Deshaun was going to go if we were going to take him or if he'd get honorable mention. I was actually wondering if one of us w- would take him because I was thinking like, where where does he kind of stack up in all this? Um, and because of that Baltimore win, I think he does belong at least mentioned on this list, whether it's he drafted here or an honorable mention. I think he belongs on this list. We never got to see what this would look like post Baltimore with him. And there's a world where he just goes nuts and it's like, okay, everybody embraces Deshaun Watson, um, you know, and he's, he's the guy moving forward and all right, it's full steam ahead, but obviously that didn't happen. And we don't know where his career goes from here uh, because he's got a, he's played 12 games since 2020 and he's coming off an unprecedented shoulder surgery. So we'll see. But I think he belongs somewhere in here. I don't know if I would have picked him just because it really was only this is really unfair, but it really was only that one game, right? Now he played well against Tennessee, but that, that game was a shutout. He played well against Arizona. That game was a shutout. Um, so, you know, I don't know how much credit do you give him for those wins? He didn't. He did what he needed to do. So he, he does belong on this list because of the Baltimore game, because of that fourteen for fourteen, and because he did his job in those other games too. So, yeah, he, he deserves credit, and he's. Five and one as a starter. If you want to take the indie game away, he's four and one as a starter. Those games count. Those games happened. And I, I don't have a problem having him on this list. He absolutely should get some level of credit for this team being in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's right, Dan. And I do think that Baltimore game does carry a lot of weight because when we talk about what the Ravens are doing right now, they've won nine of their last 10. And that one loss is to Deshaun Watson and the Browns. And it doesn't happen if he doesn't go out and have the fourth quarter that he had. I'm with you. I don't know if I would have thought to take him here in this last spot. I actually had a couple of coaches I think I might have taken before him. But I think he deserves to be at least talked about because of, you know, the early portion of the season is going to, I think, just get lost. Like there's a recency bias, obviously, right? What Joe Flacco is doing is so amazing right now. Um, It's easy to forget, I think, about – some of those games that they really had to slog through, especially in that like midway point of the season around the time that Deshaun, you know, was really dealing with the shoulder um, and ultimately when he had to have his surgery. But I do think like that Ravens game, you really can't overstate how important that is in the grand scheme of things and what that single win does for them, even from a tiebreaker standpoint. And the fact that they even own the tiebreaker against Baltimore, um, I think that it really showed what this could have looked like down the stretch of the season. Like you said, Dan, that's the best case scenario. Um, And it's unfortunate that we don't get to know that for sure, but I think he just still deserves some credit here. We're going to save any Joe Flacco, Deshaun discussions for for the offseason. But, you know, look, Deshaun Watson's your starting quarterback. Like, let, you know, we shouldn't lose sight of that. Sean Watson is your starting quarterback. That's, I, it would be the most extreme, unthinkable circumstances for that to change moving forward. So he's, he's the starting quarterback of this team. The Flacco thing has been a lot of fun. And, you know, I know Browns fans are, are thinking big things right now with, with where this could end up. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I think Deshaun definitely has to be on this list. Okay. Let's do some honorable mentions. 
here's the guy I was thinking about taking instead of Njoku, Bill Callahan. He was that one of my honorable mentions. Mine, yes, the fact that he has held this offensive line together and it's been functional, having to deal with your fourth and fifth tackles starting. You've lost three to season-ending injuries. You've had your you know, mainstay, Joel Batonio, dealing with injuries this year. You had to go out there and try and win a game when Wyatt Teller was your only starter left on that line. I mean, truly, Bill Callahan's one of the best in the business. You can't say enough about him. So I definitely think like the fact he's kept the Joe Flacco protected is huge in what Joe has been able to do. Yeah, I mean, you're starting Jaron Christian, James Hudson... But, he like, got Jaron Christian off his couch. He got Dewan Jones ready. Like Dewan Jones yeah. was not supposed to start week two against TJ Watt, and he got Dewan Jones ready, and he looks like a guy moving forward. So Bill Bill Callahan belongs on this list. Um, I got some others, but did you guys have some other honorable mentions? I know there's definitely some yeah. big names that we did not mention. I think Bubba Ventrone was one of mine. I think yeah. like the last two years, special teams had been <laughs> – a liability at times under Mike Prefer and not just the kicking game. It went beyond the kicking game and some of the boneheaded penalties we saw this team get over the last two years at key times. I think Bubba's done a great job of eliminating that. They brought him some key guys like Mike Ford Jr., like Matthew Adams, who have helped like turn everything around, even on like the gunner team, you know, from a gunner perspective, from coverage, like all of those things have been dynamite. Corey Bajorquez, the way he's been punting this year um, and how Bubba Ventrone has worked with him and Dustin Hopkins, I think it's been huge. And I think you see his energy when he's out there too. I think the players have really gravitated towards that and just knowing he's a former player, um, I think he's been, he deserves some, some coordinator credit here as well, even if he doesn't get the limelight in the same way Jim Schwartz does. Mary Katie, you have some guys that, that we left off that you were looking at? You know what? To be honest with you, I don't want to water it down too much. I think we did a really, really good job of naming the people that they could not have done it without, right? I mean, if you take any one of those people out, there's a good chance that this probably doesn't happen. Now, maybe Corey Bajorquez belongs in there because he was so great in the field position game this year. And he is the sixth best punter in the NFL. And if they didn't have somebody that good, there were so many games in which we're looking out there going, oh my God, did he just do that? Did he just place that there? Uh, did he just boom that long of a, a punt? I mean, there were he was really, really good. So he's probably the only one where I where, you know, I, I would also throw him in as a possible honorable mention. But I don't want to water it down too much. I think we have the list that we need and it it would cheapen it if we go too much farther so can i can i throw out one other name though sure i do feel like denzel ward's a guy that that we should mention um you know if we're talking about best defensive players right miles garrett is there i I think ward would go if we did like a defensive player draft i think most people would take ward two maybe somebody would argue three whatever ward's on that list so he's maybe a guy that i would put on there. And then I also had Batonio Teller, that combination, but that sort of goes into the Bill Callahan bucket. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That's, and right, like there's a million guys that have contributed to this grant Delpit. Um, yes. I mean, we could go through the whole roster, you know, we could make a case that Shelby Harris was super important to this team making the playoffs, but you are right. I think we've, I think we, we kind of narrowed it down to like the nine guys that absolutely deserve mention in, yeah, in all is- of this. The essentials, the the take them out and you you might not be here. Take them yeah. out of the mix and you might not be here was sort of where I had the bar set. And I think you guys had the bar set there too. And I think we did a good job of kind of sticking to that paradigm. Okay, so these are the nine players. And again, even though we did a draft, we, we could really kind of preface this with like in no particular order. You can order them however you want probably. These are the nine players that are the most nine actually no not players the nine people who are most responsible for the browns making the playoffs again in 2023 joe flacco kevin stefanski andrew barry miles garrett jim schwartz dustin hopkins amari cooper david njoku and deshaun watson we did it there we go our browns postgame podcast um a long time after the game ended about 12 hours after I left the stadium, Mary Kay was still there when I left. So 
yeah, we're all very, very tired. So we're going to wrap that up. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. Search Orange and Brown Talk. Find us on YouTube. Search Cleveland Browns on Cleveland.com there to find us. And of course, become a football insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns. The blue banner at the top of the page for info on that. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. 